Please remain standing for the reading of God's Word from Ecclesiastes chapter 2, which is found in your pew Bibles on page number 553. And while you're turning there, the children ages 3 to 8 are free to be dismissed for children's Bible lesson with Miss Lydia. So we're in this sermon series in Ecclesiastes. This is the third sermon in this uh, book. Uh, I mentioned before, Ecclesiastes is old man Solomon's letter to his 18-year-old self. It's what he's, it's his memoir in a sense. It's what he's saying to himself at the end of his life after he's done it all, tried it all, and this is his conclusion. And what, this is what we're reading about in Ecclesiastes. Uh, it's after Solomon repented of his sin, which his sin was going astray from the Lord, uh, seeking to find life outside of the Lord. Uh, he let his commitment to the Lord uh, slip. He started strong, as we know, um, when he was asked what, what he wanted from the Lord, and he asked for wisdom. That was a great start to his kingship and in his uh, commitment to the Lord, but he went astray. And as I said, Ecclesiastes is essentially his memoir after his Repentance. Now, I've called this sermon series Joy at the End of the Tether, which is from one of the commentaries that I've been looking at. The idea there is that Ecclesiastes reminds us that we all have limits. We're all going to die, for example. We are, in that sense, tethered, limited, confined, constrained. What we do in this life, uh, it won't have nearly the long-lasting effect that we thought it would. But the funny thing is, that truth is very liberating. It's not depressing. It shouldn't make you sad. It should make you be able to laugh a little bit more and approach life in many ways in a lighthearted manner. It truly can lead to deep and sustained joy. So again, my bottom line, I've said this I think each week, bottom line summary of the message of the book of Ecclesiastes is that this key to joy, this, this joy is found when we reflect upon the greatness of God and the smallness of man, how he is in control of every detail of life. And we have to accept our limitations, accept our tetheredness and appreciate that. And then we'll be on the road to joy. Last week, we looked at the limits of human knowledge and wisdom. Today, we're looking at the limits of human experience. From Ecclesiastes chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad. And of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart still guiding me with wisdom. And how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the days of, his, of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. 
So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. This is God's Word. Thanks be to God. Lord, please open our eyes that we might behold wonderful things from this Your Word. Through Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Throughout time, young workers enter the workforce and they seem, of course it's stereotyping, a generalization here, but they, they, they come into the workforce, the, the new generation of workers, valuing different things. So there was a time when they valued security. You know, the, the thing to do was to be able to get a job with some big company that you could, where you could work for 40 years, and then at the end of those 40 years, you'd have a nice pension. Security was, was what it was all about. Uh, then there was a generation that uh, really just valued money. It didn't really matter what you did or who you worked for, just so long you were making lots of it, lots of money. Now, young people today, I am told, because I'm not so much in that category of young people, but young people today, I'm told, I'm told, value experiences. That's what they want. They want experiences. More than security, more than money. They want a workplace where, uh, where you have some fun, you have interesting experiences. Or they want to be able to work as little as possible so that you can get out of work and, and get out of the office and go to whatever, concerts, hiking, canoeing, all those sorts of things. So young people today value Experience, not a criticism, just an, an observation. Of course, the reality is that there really are, there's no end to the uh, possible human experiences, but whether it's, again, going to concerts or hiking or canoeing or just uh, eating out with friends or, or travel, going to interesting places, especially overseas travel. All of these are good things. Ecclesiastes teaches us that none of them satisfy. None of them fulfill our deepest longings. And this passage that we're looking at today shows us Solomon's efforts, Solomon's experiments. He shows us what all he pursued to find meaning and satisfaction in life. So let me make five points about this. First of all, considered, consider pleasure pursued. Pleasure pursued. Man pursues pleasures. We all do. Man pursues happiness. It's inherent in our nature. And of course you see Solomon here in verse 1. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. Deep down, we are all pleasure seekers. We want happiness. Advertisers know this. That's why they do a good job of convincing you and me that if you have X, you'll be happy. If you have their product, you'll be happy. It's what we live for. Pleasure, happiness. 
the great French mathematician and, uh, and philosopher, uh, Blaise Pascal, said, All men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they use, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and of others avoiding it is the same desire in both to be happy. This is the motive of every action of every man, even of those who hang themselves. Now hear me, it's not a sin to pursue pleasure, to desire happiness. We, we were made to be happy. Sin has entered into the world and ruined that happiness, ruined that peace, ruined that contentment. But it's not a sin to desire pleasure, happiness, to be glad of heart. It's inherent in our nature. Second, consider pleasure experience. So it's pursued. And then we're going to see here in the following verses uh, how Solomon uh, experienced pleasure. That's what we do. Solomon did it. We do it. Solomon in many ways no different. Uh, great king. Amazing king. One of the greatest kings ever, but in many ways no different from any man. And he sought uh, pleasure in multiple ways. I'm going to give you several. First of all, I'll call it the party approach. Solomon uh, sought happiness, pleasure through the experience of, of, of parties. And there are really two characteristics of this type of experience that are noted here. First of all is laughter. You see that in verse 2, I said of laughter, it is mad and of pleasure. What use is it? So Solomon tried stand up. You know, he thought he'd give it a whirl at the comedy club. He considered, you know, what it would be like to just live life making a joke of everything. You know, we live in a time today, if you do anything on social media, you're going to see that about every other thing that pops up on your social media feed is some effort to be funny. And a lot of them are pretty creative and pretty funny. I give them credit for that. It's just part of modern society. Everybody's a comedian. Of course, the best commercials are the ones that are funny. Geico commercials, progressive commercials. In, I, what is it with insurance companies? They're really good at making funny commercials. I mean, the other day a progressive commercial was on, you know, the one about where you, you buy a house and you're, you try not to be like your parents or whatever. And I, I turned up the volume because I wanted to hear it because it's so funny. It's just part of life that we love to laugh. It's, it's part of human nature. But in many ways, comedy is used as a temporary distraction from the deeper things, more significant things in life. So hear me out. Laughter is good. It really is. It's fine. But it's not good if it's believed to be the pathway to ultimate fulfillment and satisfaction. And then the second characteristic of this party approach to finding pleasure through experiences, alcohol. That's what's noted in verse 3. I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart still guiding me with wisdom. How to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. And I would add to that not only alcohol, but drugs. We're talking in a sense about an effort to be under the influence. 
And of course, it, in one sense, it's it's understandable. If you look at the world around us, uh, I mean, everybody should just get stoned because it's a mess. It's it's hard to live with. Of course, you take away alcohol and our country music industry would be completely shot. Of course, alcohol in moderation is is fine, but like laughter, alcohol, drugs are are, are usually, oftentimes, um, just a temporary distraction from thinking about deeper things, and they're insufficient pathways to ultimate satisfaction and fulfillment. So there's the party approach that Solomon tried, that we would all have to admit, yep, been there and done that myself. Second, there's the achievement approach. So there's the party approach, and then there's the achievement approach, which we read about here in verse 4. I made great works, Solomon writes. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. We love making things, don't we? We love to make great things. We love being described as being a high achiever. We love being involved in leadership of different businesses, organizations, whatever. We like having our names on buildings, on plaques. I, I mentioned how, was it last week or two weeks ago? I can't remember how, um, when I was in high school, that was the thing I wanted more than any other was to see my name up there underneath the, the, the list of basketball players in the gym because everybody saw it. And, you know, finally, when, they, when I made the basketball team, then finally there was my name up there. Achievement. And I'm not saying at all that we should oppress our ambitions. Y'all, we need high achievers. We need people who, to build businesses. We need people to produce food. We need people to protect wildlife and care for parks. We need uh, people to make advances in medicine. But if you're seeking fulfillment and satisfaction through those pathways, you'll be left disappointed. Third, after the party approach or the achievement approach, there is the stock market approach. Verse 8, I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. It's often said that money can't buy happiness. You've heard that plenty of times. You hear those who aren't even Christians saying that. They know it intellectually, but we, they who say that oftentimes don't really apply it. It's like we don't really believe it. Or that, well, that probably is the case for somebody else, but let me try it. Let me see if it, maybe it would work for me. Mr. Burns in, uh, in The Simpsons, which is not necessarily a cartoon I encourage you to watch, but in his response to Homer's observation, um, it was significant. Homer said, you're the richest man I know. To which Mr. Burns replied, Yes, but I'd trade it all for more. <laughs> that's, that's what happens with money. Again, money is not evil, just like laughter is not evil, and alcohol is not evil, and, and achievement is not evil. It's the love of money that's the problem. That's what the Lord forbids. So there's the party approach, the achievement approach, the stock market approach, and then fourth, the bedroom approach. 
verse 8, he, he tell, talks about how he got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. Now, the singers here, of course, are going to represent sort of the, the cultured aspect, the finer things of life that Solomon uh, had. But then there's the concubines, which are not representative of the, fi- of the finer things in life, but of the baser things in life. A concubine is, is really a, 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 a crude type of term referring to women who are used only for sexual pleasure. Now, marriage, of course, was often for political power and military stability and things like that, but concubines were just for a powerful man's pleasure. Certainly, God created the idea of man and woman, husband and wife, coming together as one physical union. That physical union is a good thing, a wonderful thing, unless it becomes the obsession and expectation for fulfillment and satisfaction. So these were Solomon's experiences. These are, he, he pursued happiness, pleasure through these avenues. And verses 9 and following is his conclusion. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. All my wisdom remained with me and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and the striving after wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. I've gotten to where I like to read. Um, a lot of people read right before you go to bed at night. I used to try to read uh, theology books and things like that, but then I'd forget what I read in the morning. So I just kind of turned to a lot of fluff kind of at night just to, you know, just as I'm going to bed. And so one of the books I finished this week uh, in preparation, preparing my mind for spring training and the Atlanta Braves, who will no doubt have a great team this year. Um, but I was reading about uh, the biography of, of Javi Lopez, who was a great catcher for the Braves in the 90s and early 2000s. And so I finished that this week, and I, um, it was interesting some of the things that he said. He writes, One day in 2002, after I had my worst season, I was super miserable. I had two beautiful boys, a beautiful home, and a nice car. But everywhere I looked, everything was making me unhappy. I was completely miserable. And so he tells about how he went on some vacations. And then he kind of continues in that vein. Right after that trip to the Bahamas, I went to Aspen, Colorado. Again, it made me feel a little better, but it was just temporary relief. We had some fun on our trips. We did something we hadn't done before. The kids had a blast and it was fun to see them. But when we came back, everything was still the same. I returned to reality. Sounds a lot like the things that Solomon was saying here. We really had it all. Solomon tried it all. But we need to think about all these things that Solomon pursued, that we ourselves are tempted to pursue and have pursued plenty of times, we need to think of them as sandcastles on the beach. They're beautiful. These things are good things in and of themselves. They're fun to build, sandcastles. And all these things that the Lord gives us to experience in life are, are good things for us, but they don't last. And as soon as high tide comes, they get washed away. So we've looked at pleasure pursued, pleasure experienced. 
My third point is pleasure twisted. Pleasure twisted. Again, remember that Ecclesiastes is Solomon's the wisest man to ever live. It's his letter to his 18-year-old self after he repented of his sin. And the sins that he repented of were, were these things noted here to which he gave himself, gave his life to these things. And, and he, he sought happiness uh, outside the Lord. Sin does that to us. Sin makes us think that the wrong things will make us happy. And the more you give in to sin, the more your heart and mind will mislead you. This is one of the reasons why we need others to speak into our lives. Because sin hardens and it blinds and it twists us. It makes us think, again, the wrong things will make us happy. Number four, pleasure out of control. I've been saying here many times in this sermon so far that these experiences, they're not usually bad in themselves. They're bad when we, when we seek these experiences to find fulfillment. They're, they're bad when they dominate your life. And I use that word particularly, bad when they dominate your life. Because Genesis chapter 1, uh, we read about how man is called upon to exercise dominion over the earth. We're called to dominate the earth. The first step to exercising dominion over the earth is exercising dominion over yourself. We, we can't exercise dominion over the earth if we're not exercising dominion over ourselves. There's really nothing more unmanly than a man who's out of control, like Solomon was here. Nothing more unmanly than when a man compromises his duty to pursue pleasure. It's just flat out wimpiness. Manliness is dominating yourself to benefit others. Hedonism is giving in to yourself, which Solomon did. He gave in to himself. Self was number one in his life for many years. And, and what's interesting in this section of Scripture here, these verses, the very first word in verse one is I. And the words I, me, my, and myself, they're the dominant refrain throughout these verses. I is used 18 times. My, 13 times. Me, four times. Myself, four times. Even the word yourself is used. When, when Solomon talks, says enjoy yourself there in verse 1. That's intended to the, uh, convey the idea of Solomon talking to himself. Well, manliness is dominating yourself, exercising dominion over yourself for the benefit of others. It's not being out of control as you pursue pleasure. And then fifth and finally, pleasure attained. Pleasure attained or accomplished, I guess you could say as well. Solomon is certainly easy to criticize here. But, you know, whenever we see somebody in the Bible doing something really stupid, we shouldn't look at them and say, how could he be so stupid to do that? What we need to say is, how am I the same way? 
And I bet if we were all honest about our lives, we'd, we'd say, you know, I've tried all those things as well. And you'd admit that they're all vanity. They're all striving after wind. You'd admit that in this particular game, you can't win. Solomon, that's what Ecclesiastes is telling us. You're not going to win this game. You're not going to win this battle. And many of you who have been down this path would say the same thing. Fulfillment through these experiences, it's like a goal line that the, that the, the closer you get to the goal line, the further it moves out from you. You and I can't win in this pursuit of pleasure through experiences. It can't be done. And the, win, the wisdom of Ecclesiastes is simply, you can't win, so stop trying to win. That's why Ecclesiastes is a book that leads to joy and release in a sense. Because it's telling you, you can't win, stop trying. But Ecclesiastes tells you to keep playing the game and enjoy the process. Ecclesiastes teaches us that God has designed life to be lived in humility before Him and in obedience to Him with us accepting the, the limitations and the constraints that we all have as created beings. And we find joy then and satisfaction just in the ordinary things of life. But I will tell you this. We can only find the joy and satisfaction in just the ordinary things of life that we receive as gifts from the Lord if you know Jesus. You can only find those things and experience that joy and satisfaction through Christ because without Jesus we will pursue pleasure in all the wrong ways. Until we repent of our sin and give our lives to Christ, we will believe lies. Lies that will keep us chasing satisfaction and fulfillment outside of Christ. The Lord Jesus removes sin, praise God, which enables us then to see clearly. The Lord Jesus gives the Holy Spirit so that we can then exercise control over the right things and exercise dominion over ourselves. Jesus gives us deep pleasure, peace, contentment so that we can stop playing the game that you can never win. The gospel hymn, I'd rather have Jesus, goes like this. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be His and have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or land. I'd rather be led by His nail-pierced hands than to be the king of a vast domain and be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. So in a minute, we're going to sing. We're going to sing leaning on the everlasting arms. You know, we're all leaning on something or someone. Lean on Jesus. And if you'd like to understand more about what that would mean, let's chat. Speak to me. Let me know after the service. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we all pursue pleasure. And it's proper 
Because we were made to live in peace and happiness and gladness. And we're out of sorts living in this sin-marred world. Give, O Lord, every person here today fresh eyes to see the beauty of Christ and the greatness of God that we might enjoy the generous gifts that You give from Your hand. Through Jesus our Lord we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing hymn number 616, Leaning on the Everlasting Arms. And now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you wholly, and may your spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, and He will do it. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Amen. today to stimulate your thinking. I'd love a chance to get to know you a little bit better and have some conversation. Please feel free to reach out to me in whatever way is comfortable for you. You can come by the office or I'll buy you lunch or just a cup of coffee. Of course, you can always come by on Sunday mornings and we can meet face to face. Our new service time is 9.30 a.m.